All right, well, we're in 1 John. If you have your Bibles with you and you grabbed one when the guys were handing them out, uh, making our way through this letter of 1 John. And Berto, you're hanging out? You get to hang out? Took the off-ramp, but you're staying here in Oki for a little bit? Nice. All right, chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 6. So these four verses, I entitled our message this morning, Love and Obey. For us at Calvary, being the first Sunday of the month, we're going to have communion as well at the close of our service. And so I'll do my best to uh, land our plane, if you will, to have time for communion as well. But 1 John chapter 2, most of you know our routine. We want to stand in honor of God and his word. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you don't mind, just for a little bit. So, tate kudasai. And... uh, Yohane no daichi no Yohane nisho sansetsukara. Verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. John sets up this conditionality that if we keep his commandments. Verse 4 says, Now he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments. Well, notice what John says again and he's not um, afraid to just punch us in the face spiritually. He says, you're a liar. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, and by this we know that we are in him. And he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Uh, 2.6 is really similar to 1.6, but uh, we'll pause there, and will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the morning. Thank you, God, and all the various ways in which you relate and love us, as we talked about last Sunday, and one of those is as our good shepherd. We thank you that Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And Lord, as our good shepherd, we as your sheepfold, we know your voice, and you call to us, you love us, you lead us. And Lord, we want to follow you. And so help us then today, as we hear your voice through your word, that God, that we would follow you and we would follow you closely. Thank you for everybody that's here today. I pray you would bless them, bless our time of study. And Lord, we pray even for those who don't know you personally yet, that today would be the day that you open their heart and their mind uh, to your love and your truth your grace, and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a moment, be uncomfortable, and say hello to someone. Shake a hand, (laughs) hug a neck, greet somebody. Well, today in our passage, John uh, leads us uh, into these topics, really important topics of our Christian faith. If you name the name of Jesus, uh, and part of the thing he'll talk about quite a bit is love. And so he talks about love but he'll also talk about obedience. He uses this phrase, keeping his commandments several times. And I think it's important for us as we step into this section of John that we have to understand when we talk about love and we talk about that word obedience or to obey, that we have the right definition, a working definition for those terms. That we understand that God's version, God's brand of love and God's brand of obedience, it's nothing like the world's version or the world's brand, right? The world's version of love and the world's version, the world's take on what it means to obey is terrible. It's a distorted, twisted, cheap knockoff version of what God has provided for us. Uh, maybe for some of you, there are certain brands, products in your life that you're loyal to, that you, uh, you know, you, they're non-negotiables for you. Some categories, you're like, yeah, that's fine. I can get this or the, the generic one, but maybe certain things, uh, certain makeup for some of you ladies, right? Or certain uh, apparel or shoes for some of, for some of us. Uh, for my wife, it's mayonnaise. Uh, I dare not walk into my house with any other brand of mayonnaise except for best foods. Uh, because if I do, then she's going to fight me uh, over mayonnaise, right? Um, 
So God's brand, God's version of love is a completely different version of the world's version of love. And God's brand and God's version of what it means to obey, obedience, it looks nothing like, it operates nothing like the world's brand of obedience. And it's important for us to understand that because when we start to talk about then what it means to obey him and follow his commands and what it means then when we talk about love, because John's going to talk about love quite a bit, uh, we want to get that right so that it looks right in our life as well. And so as we've done, we're going to consider these verses. We pray that the Lord will help us to understand and, and apply these truths to our lives. Creamer, is it your last Sunday with us? All right. I'll, we're going to pray for you at the close. Is that okay? Forgive me. I saw you there. All right. Hey, that's the Creamer's last Sunday, so you know my standard. Like, they owe you money. They borrowed something. <laughs> They're taken off. You better go hunt them down. They'll be in North Carolina. <laughs> All right. Verse 3. It says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you've been with us, you already know, and if you haven't been, again, welcome this morning. Uh, blessed that you're here. But we rejoin John uh, in the middle of his thoughts, in this part of his letter. He, he's already presented to us some very important truths. He's already given us uh, uh, a list of kind of diagnostics, right? Some questions, uh, some premises that he's walked us through. And we looked at those things from chapter 1, even in the beginning of chapter 2, and, and, and we appreciate that John keeps things pretty simple. I mean, there's some deep theological truths uh, that he explores, but for the most part, he just keeps it simple. He's going to talk about love versus hate and light versus dark, um, uh, you know, the, the, the spirit of God versus the spirit of, of the, you know, the Antichrist and, and these different things. But he presented a truth for us that has some tension. So on one side of this beautiful truth, there are two parts. That you and I at one time didn't know Jesus. We were far from God. And then God in his grace, God in his mercy, because he loved you and me, even while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to live and to die for you. And verse 7 of chapter 1 tells us then that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Amen? And we, we have been placed then in the body of Christ. Um, we were once sinners. We were once afar off. But through Christ and Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, uh, he gave his life for us. And so now we have been declared. We are positionally clean before the Lord. The, we're, we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And it's a glorious truth. And John adds to that, that even though we've been saved, even though we name the name of Christ, we will find out quickly we still sin, though. There's still a sin nature that exists in all of us, and we still fight against the flesh. John doesn't only tell us that. We appreciate Paul's candor when he writes in Romans 7, how he says, I see this this war that's happening inside of me, the thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing the thing that I want to do. Sometimes I don't do that. You know, and, and the reality is that we lose that fight more than we like to. But John also adds this. The same grace that saved you and me wasn't a one-time deal. It wasn't as though God said, all right, you got one coupon, and now that you're in, you better toe the line. You better, uh, you know, don't step out of line. You got to just keep, you know, keep yourself perfect. John reminds us, no, God's grace continues. It wasn't a one-time use coupon. God still loves you. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that you blow it. He knows that we step out. There is still forgiveness of sin. And so for us, we, we took some time. We, we camped at 1-9, and I told you that one, 1 John 1-9 is our spiritual soap. And it's for the Christian, when we blow it, if we confess our sins and when we mess up, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we talked about how 2-1 and 2-2 were so important that we have an advocate 
He forever intercedes. He forever advocates for us, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And, and he is the propitiation. He is the cover himself for all of our sins, past and present and future. And that too is wonderful news. The tension though that John brings us into is that God also doesn't want us playing with sin anymore. While we're forgiven, we've been forgiven, and when we blow it, we'll still be forgiven. Grace is not then an excuse for us to sin. Paul writes to the Roman church or the Romans, the Christians in Rome, and he says it shouldn't be a cloak, this cover, just because we know God's going to forgive us doesn't mean that, okay, we can just go do what we want. Because the nature of sin is still, it still remains a, a corrupting agent. It still corrodes. Uh, we, we will fool ourselves to think that, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm good with God, but I'm going to have this little sin. I'm going to play with it as a pet. I'm going to keep it hidden and just feed it a little bit. No, it will grow and it will consume and it will kill you. That's the nature of sin. And what John is proposing for us is that what God has for us is so much better that our appetite for the things of God should trump then our appetite for the things of the world. And that's often my own prayer, Lord. I, I pray that I have a, just a great distaste for the things of the world. He's talked about how there's joy and he wants us to have a greatness of joy, a fullness of joy, a fullness of contentment and fulfillment that we can find uh, life abundant in Jesus Christ. That is the promise that he's given us. And so we cheat ourselves then when we, uh, when we entertain sin. We, we lose out on that equation, that deal. Not what does John do here. He, he brings us into yet another diagnosis, uh, diagnostic maybe I should say. He says, by this we know that we know him. And so, basically, John says, hey, let's just start where it matters most. And where does it matter most? In your own heart, in mine. Right? It, it's, a, it's a test, if you will, for our own assurance. How can I know that I really know? How can we know that we really know the Lord? You ever taken... Um, you ever taken those online personality quizzes? Remember back in the day when Facebook was first starting, there was a lot of them, right? Like you find out what Disney character you were or what, uh, you know, what superhero you were. And there's other formalized ones, some of you have to take for your work, you know, and different things. Briggs Meyer, right? You, you take these tests and usually there's a series of questions uh, and, and, you know, conditions that they'll, and they'll say, you know, do you mostly agree, fully agree, or fully disagree? And and I don't know about you, but I, I, get all, I get all anxious when I take those tests because I think I, I think I just, I overthink those things, right? You know, be like, do you, do you like to be around people? And I'm like, oh, well, at church I do, but not at the beach, you know, and like I'll create my own conditionality, right? Like not at Yakiniku, like, it's, like when you, if you've ever been in Yakiniku and you have the whole restaurant yourself, you're like, glory to God, like I get the whole thing, you know, and you have to wait and I overthink these things. John has already walked us through some of these questions, if you will, these self-checks, but he brings us now to, at verse 3, a major metric. What what is the, the test that John prescribes as the indicator that we really know the Lord? Not, not that somebody else would, not that whoever's sitting next to you, not, not the neighbor across the street. He, 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 you know, he brings us to, again, a very important part. It's just where we're, where we're at. And he gives us the answer. Here's all you'll know. The rest of that verse says, if we keep his commandments. That's, that's our self-check. Right? Obedience, then, is the evidence of a true heart change. Doing what Jesus says for you and I to do is the proof that we really know him and have a relationship with him. I phrase it this way, that, that true faith in Christ is evidenced by obedience to Christ. 
And James, in very similar way, will tell us, told us in his letter, faith, proclamation of faith without works is dead. Not that we work for our faith, but our faith will produce. There should be a product. And what does John tell us it is? Well, it's obedience. It's obedience. Now, again, we pause here for a moment because when we hear that word obedience, when we hear the word to obey or heed his commands, uh, sometimes, it, you know, we can, it'll put us back on our heels a little bit, right? Sometimes there's a little bit of a trigger for us. Well, even before we define what it means to obey, let's just define what it means to know him. I think that's important. The Greek word there that's used uh, is the word gnosko. And it, and it generally means, there's different ways in which the Bible uses it, but it generally means knowledge by experience. You didn't read about it. You didn't watch it on YouTube. Uh, you, you experienced it yourself. It's a firsthand uh, knowledge. You don't just know about it. You didn't, someone didn't tell you about it. You didn't read about it. No, you lived it. You, you, you have experienced it. The week before the bake sale, uh, Jeff Brewer at church came to me and he said, my daughter Brooke makes the best pumpkin snickerdoodles in all of the world. And I told Jeff, those are just words to me. <laughs> I'm like, let me be the judge of such claims. And very graciously, Brooke made some and handed them to me in the day of the bake sale. See, Jeff, Jeff has gnosko. He has firsthand experience. For me, it's just hearsay. I, I, I don't know those things are true. I didn't have gnosko that they were delectable and delicious. It was secondhand claim until the bake sale and I validated that claim. <laughs> now I have gnosko. In John chapter 4, there's this uh, interaction and it's just a great, it's a great scene. I invite you to read it later and I'll just get to the, the main point of it. Jesus was ministering to this lady at, at, at a well. He's at the well. She comes to get water. Um, she basically was just not living the best lifestyle. And in his grace, he doesn't condemn her, but he, 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 he tells her the truth. Uh, I, I know what you're doing. And, uh, and so in this exchange about worship and tradition, um, you know, something grabs a hold of her heart. And so she goes back basically to her town and she tells everyone like, hey, my paraphrase, man, you, you won't believe it. Trip out. I'm, I, I think I met this prophet, this guy, he, and he knew everything about me. And people are intrigued. And in John 4, it says some of them believe, but then a group of them were like, we want to see for ourselves. And so they, they go back to the well where Jesus is. And he then the Bible says he then, he, he ministers to them. He speaks to them. The idea is he preaches the gospel about himself. And then um, in John 4, it says that group says to her basically, well, we believe you, but now we've heard him directly and we believe. It wasn't just hearsay. It wasn't just somebody else told them. They got to experience it for themselves. I mean, we all understand it's one thing to know about something. It's one thing to know about a person and a very different dynamic when you know them. Right? It's very different to know about Jesus, to know about the word of God, to know about the Christian faith. And very, very different than to know him personally. And that's what this is talking about. And we've talked before, not, not religion, it's not rules, it's not regulations, it is a relationship. And the question is, and it's a very important question for us to answer, do we, can we say that you, that, I, that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what God wants with you, for you. It's one thing to meet and know about. You know, before... Um, we came to Okinawa and planted the church some 23 wow, years ago now this month. Um, some of you guys know I used to work for Nike. And working for Nike, I, I, got, I had the blessing to meet a, a number of celebrity athletes. Um, 
and I remember, you know, one of them, I met Shaq, though he wasn't Nike sponsored, but meeting Shaquille O'Neal. And, and just for me, it's impressed because I remember, like, he's a giant man. And I felt like this little tiny kid, you know, when I went to shake his hand, it was like his hand and my hand, you know. Now, I can't say, yeah, I know Shaq. I, I know about Shaq. I know about Shaquille O'Neal. You've seen his highlight films and read a little bit about him. And, and he certainly doesn't know me. It's not like we can call him and be like, hey. Right? There, there, there's a great difference there. There's a huge gap between knowing about and knowing. And, and so it's important for us as John brings us into this, by this we, can, we, we know that we know. What is that? What is this? Well, it's obedience. So let's take a moment to talk about that that idea of obedience or what it means to obey. Like I said earlier, the world has its own definition and it looks nothing like God's brand. And sadly, even just categorically, anytime we adopt the world's definition for the words and the terms and the phrases and the ideas that we read in the scripture and the Christian life, uh, it will always create confusion. And it will, it will bring frustration and disappointment and with that, you know, just disenchantment and anger and all that comes with that. And by the way, that's true, not just of understanding obedience and God's love, that, that's true of God's things that he ordains for us. What do, what do our marriages look like? What does it mean to be in the family, to have a family? Like if we go to the world and adopt the world's definition and the way that the world prescribes how we love, how we're married, how we do family, uh, you and I, uh, we will invite a whole trove of trouble. It's the wrong operating system. And it will create a lot of dysfunction. And we see that, don't we? I mean, it's no surprise then when Christians use the world's operating system that things go wonky. And then what happens? People get weird, they get triggered, they get weirded out. And so there's a lot. I mean, obedience is one, submit is another. God's definition of submission looks nothing like the world's definition of submission. When God talks about what it means to be a slave, especially in our culture today, that, that, you know, that, that, there's a lot of uh, meaning behind that word. But how does God define that word? What does it mean to prosper? What does it mean to discipline? And so there's a lot, and obey is one of those. I mean, what does it just mean baseline? Okay, if we know him, we're going to keep his command. We'll keep his command as obedience. It means inherent in that then is a trust. We're trusting God and his character, his nature, and we're going to do what he tells us to do. It's been said some people want Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. But we can't, we can't separate. That's his identity. That's his nature. It's incompatible for us to say, well, Jesus is my Savior, but I, don't, I, don't, I just live my own life. Then he's, then he's not your Lord. Right? He, he's either king of your heart or he's not. So when, when John uses these words in the original language, it's the idea, it, it is connected to relationship, though. And that's what we have to understand. This isn't just... Uh, um, a rote obedience. It's not a robotic uh, adherence or compliance to what God has told us to do. The idea of gnosis, to know him, is the base of that. It's relationship. And so God's brand of obedience is intimate. And it's tied to, intimately tied to a relationship with him. And of course, we're going to find out that relationship is based on love. Jesus says in John 14, recorded for us, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who doesn't love me, well, they won't obey. 
And Jesus says, these words that you hear are not my own, but they belong to the Father who sent me. John 14, 23 through 24. And so he sets forth this condition for us. Well, this is how we're going to know if we're in this, this self-assessment, if we're keeping his commandments. He goes on as he, his pattern, right, is positive, negative, positive. He says, but the person who says or makes the claim, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandment. John says, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to God. You're lying to people. You're lying to yourself. The truth not in you. We've heard him say that before. And, and, and he's addressed this aspect before, and he's used the same uh, format before, and he's going to continue to use it. Look at verse 6 and verse 9 as well. He who says, I know him, verse 4. Verse 6, he who says, he abides in him. Verse 9, he who says, he's in the light. This is a claim. He addresses a claim. And when we read those claims, we would say, oh, those are good claims. Hopefully we would make those same claims, that those would be true about us, but he provides the qualifier. You make that claim, there better than be substance to that. Because if there's not, then we're lying. We're living a lie. I mean, we, we've said it because he's told us before the same way back in verse 6 and back in verse 8 of chapter 1. So I'm going to re-bring, just repeat a point we've made before. Listen, if we claim, if we say that we know Jesus, that we, well, we're a Christian, and yet we disobey the word of God, we have nothing to do with what God tells us to do, that is to live a lie. You're deceiving yourself. You're walking in darkness. You're blind. I, I don't say that. That's what John says. That's what the word of God says. But why do we camp last week on two verses? And before, in verse 9, it's so important because we have to make sure we keep context of this whole passage and the chapter in mind. Because what does he mean when he says, does not keep his commands? Because when I read that, and I think, okay, well, I make that claim. But sometimes I don't keep those, I don't keep his commands. So the phrase and the way that the tense and the language is used, John's not talking about the occasional blunder. He's not talking about when we stumble and sometimes we can stumble every day. He's not talking about that. We, we made sure we understood, listen, we, we have forgiveness as Christians. God's not a one and done with us. He has got a second and fifth and fiftieth chances. We get it wrong in our mind if we think that somehow, you know, God is a God of wrath, uh, of only wrath and judgment, and he's just waiting for you to step out of line, and then at the first opportunity, he's going to just, you know, just scorch us alive. You know, he, the imagery of, you know, like, the mafia godfather. We mess up, then that's it. Any infraction, you know, you're out of here. No, he's, he's not the godfather like the mafia, but he, he's Father God. He's ready to forgive and wanting to forgive. And though we stumble, and though we fall, he picks us, he picks you back up and dusts you off and says, keep coming. He goes on to say in verse 5, then whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And this is important, verse 5, so, so important. This is the key for us. What, what is the source then of our obedience? What's the motivator then of our obedience to the Lord? It's tied to relationship. Love. Love is the motivator. Love is the source. The Bible says that, that we even love God because he first loved us. And so the things that we do and we get to do, it, it, it's motivated because when we understand God's love for us, God's grace for us, God's goodness towards us. And those two things are intricately tied together. We don't want to separate them. 
And John really is just paraphrasing what he heard Jesus himself say in the upper room. I referenced John 14 earlier. There in the upper room, Jesus is serving the disciples. They're going to have you know, the Last Supper. And, 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 he, and he puts forth this, these statements. He says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He'll go on to say, but my commandments aren't burdensome. Is there an extension of God's nature? God's thoughts towards you, the Bible says, they are continually good. Right? We, we can trust the Lord in his nature. And, and so because of that, then we can then trust and when we're obedient to the Lord, God has your best in mind. Well, we talked before, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to mean that you're going to have to die to yourself. Suck it up. Drop your pride. Sometimes it means God's going to take you through some dark, dark times and some rough, rough waters. But he always has your good in mind. So Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And later on in verse 21, he says, and he who has my commandments and keeps him is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I'll love them, and I'll manifest myself, make myself known to them. This is the highest plane of obedience for us. There's, there's different motivators of obedience. Are we experienced in our own life? I mean, one, one, one thing that can motivate us to obedience to do something is we, we, we're, we're fearful of the consequences if we don't. Right, we, can be, we can be obedient out of fear, even out of guilt. We don't want what the punish, the consequence will be. And so even though we don't really want to do the thing, it's not like our heart's in it, we're going to do it just because we don't want to be punished. We don't want to feel the ill effect, or sometimes we're guilted into it. And what drives then our obedience? Well, it's self-preservation. Another motivator of our obedience, sometimes it's just, it's for reward or recognition. Again, the thing in itself doesn't necessarily bring us joy, doesn't necessarily bring us satisfaction, but what, what lays beyond that? Someone will recognize us. We get a reward or a pen or a badge or a promotion or a, a piece of candy, right? I mean, as parents, I often use that bargaining tool for my own kids, I'm like, listen, we got to go. Please just put on these shoes. I'll buy you ice cream. I'll buy you a pony. Let's go. Right? And so, you know, it's, it's obedience for the reward. It's obedience for the recognition. Sometimes we obey just out of sense of pure duty. There are a number of you in this room that you raised your hand one day and you, you made an oath. You made a promise. And so we do things not necessarily because we, we want to, but man, we signed up for this or we made a promise one day and, and so we do it because we have to, not necessarily because we want to, but because we have to. It's your job, it's your duty. Not a bad thing, that's very noble because that in itself has a form of self-sacrifice. So there's a lot of different, there's different motivators for, for our obedience to things. But what God prescribes for us is the highest one, the highest motivation. It's not just duty. It's not just I'm going to do this because I don't want to get you know, in trouble with God. No, the motivator is love. And it's God's love. And God's brand of love is not like the world's brand of love. The world's brand of love is often Conditional. It's often a, a bargain. You do this for me and then I'll love you or I'll love you, but I expect that then you're going to do this. It's very conditioned and often it's temporary. It'll expire once, you know, uh, this conditionality now changes. And so they're like, okay, well, I don't love that thing anymore, that person anymore. The world's brand of love is often self-seeking. It's usually lust, just masked as love. And the world you know, celebrates it. Ten more days on Valentine's Day, right? the world's going to celebrate love. 
And I love the way that Japan celebrates it though, right? Because in Japan, it's the girls that buy the guys chocolate. <laughs> Just saying, you know, you want to be obedient to the Lord. Don't you? <laughs> the world celebrates love, but it's not God's brand of love. You guys been in church, you know, God's brand of love is completely different. It's, it's that great, beautiful, I don't even think we can really fully understand the word agape. Unconditional. No strings attached. The Bible describes it in so many ways, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height nor depth, nothing created. Nothing, not, not even ourselves. God demonstrated his love for you even while you were at sinners. He proved that he loved you by sending his son to die for us. I mean, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 is a great descriptor of, of God's brand of love. You know, in, in English, we use the word love to describe so many different forms of affection. And we just do it kind of indiscriminately, right? I love my dog, and oh man, I love the cherry blossoms this season. I, uh, I love pizza, and then we're, and I love my wife. Like, we, like that's the same word, but that doesn't describe, you know, me loving ice cream and loving Christy, there, there, hopefully there's a difference there, right? <laughs> the quality of that love. Though they're really close, though. They're really, really close. <laughs> God's brand of love is the highest of quality. Sacrificial. Doesn't seek its own. Doesn't boast. Doesn't keep a record of wrong. Always for the interest of somebody else. And, and, we, we, and we understand it in part. We understand it in part. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me say this before. Even before my mom passed away, um, gosh, 2015, it's been some years now, my, my, my mom was battling cancer and um, had some good days, had some bad days. She's going through chemo and all of that. And, and so I'd, I'd go to her little apartment, and when I'd go, I'd just check in on her. And there'd be, it was often that when i go, like she was just tapped out of energy. So there was d- dirty dishes in the sink, and her apartment wasn't very clean, and the bathroom needed cleaning. Um, Oh, sorry. And gr- grief is a weird thing sometimes, huh? Um, sorry. Um, you know, as a kid, like many of us, you know, we had a chore list. So I had to clean my room and put my toys away and mow the lawn. And I didn't want to get punted. My mom would chase me around with her chanclas, you know, and I don't want to get beaten by her slippers. Um, but fast forward now, my mom, you know, when I go, <laughs> oh, it's okay, first service. Um, yeah, it wasn't that I was afraid my mom was going to beat me with her chanclas. Um, There's no list in the fridge. I've told this story many times. Huh? Forgive me. Um, uh, I just want, I just want to love my mom. I just, so I did things, I, in a sense, I was obedient out of love. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's the heart God wants us to have with him. We, we do the things that he asks us to do. They're good things for us, but we do them because we love the Lord and because God loves us. That's, that's the ultimate thing, because God loves us. And so John says, this is how we know that we're in him. And again, we have to make sure we understand what it means when he's talking about obedience. It doesn't mean that the more we're obedient, the more that God will love us. Don't, we don't want to get that wrong. It's not as though we work then for the love of God. Okay, I'm going to do this and then God will love me. As though our relationship with the Lord is purely performance-based. It's not. God, will lo- God loves you unconditionally. God, God can't love you any more and God can't love you any less. It's infinite, it's unconditional, it's unmeasurable. The variable is our experience of God's love. That's the variable. The variable is is our love can grow. God's love can't grow, but our love can grow. We understand that his love for us is goodness and grace to us. And so if I can make an applicational point, just kind of what sits in in there is the idea that we, we can grow our love 
It can be perfected. The idea that it is in, in Philippians, uh, Paul writes to the church and he says, this I pray that, that your love may abound more and more. It's the idea that it can grow. And so church family, when we then seek to love the Lord and then align our heart to say, okay, God, I obey you. I'm going to trust what you have for me. Our, our love of the Lord grows. It's this um, perpetual motion. It's like Japanese gift giving, right? You give a gift and all of a sudden they give you a gift. You're like, well, I got to give a gift. It just keeps going, right? <laughs> and so he, he closes with something he said before, but he phrases it in a slightly different way, verse 6. He says, he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And so here, here it is again. Uh, a claims being made. These are good claims, though. And hopefully we can line up behind them and make the same claim. Well, yes. I say, I want to say that I abide in the Lord. I believe that. I subscribe to that. But he's told us before, it's one thing to make a claim, and it's quite another thing to then do it or not. Right? This, is, this is the Bible's way of saying, hey, if you talk the talk, you better walk the walk. What does it mean to abide? He who says he abides in him. John chapter 15, Jesus gives us a very vivid illustration of this. And he uses an analogy where he says, I, I, I am the vine, I'm the true vine, Jesus says. And you and I are the branches. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And the idea then is that we are connected to, intimately connected to, our, our lifeline, our life source is him. We're not drawing resource and life from anything else. It's only the Lord. And, and it conveys this idea then to be, to be naturally at home, to be comfortable, be connected. There's a peace there. A lot of you travel, you know, if you're like me, first of all, I, I, the older I get, the least I like, you know, I like traveling less and less. And there's, there's, there's for me, nothing better than just to be able to sleep in your own bed. Something just about being at home. And again, I, for me, I, I'm more of a homebody. I'd rather just be at home. And that's the idea of abide. You're just comfortable in your own space. You're comfortable you're at peace. Now that can happen somewhere else sometimes, right? The, the, the more that you spend time with somebody else, they welcome you, your friendship, you know, then you find yourself burping in front of them and passing away. You know, like it just, you know, it's like, all right, our relationship's at a different level now, right? And I mean, there's some families in our church that for us, they're like family, and we've known them for a long time. We've become really comfortable with them. And so even when they come over, we don't even clean our house anymore. We don't even make dinner. We're like, ah, oh, there's leftovers in the fridge. Just go for it. You know? We're so comfortable. Like, hey, can you wash our dishes? <laughs> right, that's really comfortable. And that's the idea of that word abide. If we say that, if we say that we're at home with the Lord, we have a relationship with him. There's not an awkwardness there. Well, what is he attached to that? Well, then we ought to walk. If we talk the talk, then we better walk the walk. And it means then we're going to, we're going to live like Jesus lived. And that statement's just, it's, it in itself has a lot. Like, how did, how did Jesus live? We well, lived with grace, he lived with purpose, lived with Desire to honor the Father. He, just, he lived with loving others, which that's where John's going to bring us, by the way. And, by the, and so what it means to walk, it means our lifestyle. A, a daily consistent pattern. We're going to follow the pattern of the Lord. Jesus is our model. So when we, when we then make time to spend with the Lord, what happens? We will find ourselves being more like the Lord. get our eyes on him, and he becomes our model. He becomes our example. 
when I, when I was in elementary school, and I'll close with this, when I was in elementary school, uh, I loved Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. Uh, and some of the Bruce Lee movies aren't the best movies, but so I don't necessarily endorse that. But uh, I'd watch over and over again. And back in my day, it was a VHS tape, you know, rewind and just over and over again. Uh, studied their moves. And I got Bruce Lee down pretty, uh, the whole nose flick and the head motion. And, and then when Kung Fu shoes became popular, anybody remember that season? I was all happy. I admired them. And because I admired them, I imitated them. I mimicked them. I, I modeled the things that I did after them. And then just reality hit I more like Kung Fu Panda than I am the dragon. So, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Jesus is our model. And so when we come to the Lord. And by the way, the Bible describes it, you know, when it says, if you abide in him, the idea is that we are in the Lord, right? Christ is in us and we are in the Lord. It's like spiritual Russian nesting dolls. Christ is in us, and then we're in the Lord. Colossians 3.3 3 says, We've died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And so to abide in him in Christ means that we've made our home in him, and, and he, his life then lives through us. The life that I live, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so when we hang out with him, and we abide in him, we're comfortable with him, by virtue of that, we will become more like him. It's a work of God's grace. And what's the motivation of that? Well, love. Because God loved you and loves us so much, then out of our love for him, that we get to and we should then live in obedience to him, ultimately realize it's for our good and for his glory. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to have the ushers come forward and the worship team. They're going to come lead us in worship for our time of communion. The gospels record and, and Paul records that beautiful, powerful occasion where Jesus is in the upper room and with the disciples, and, and for them, we've talked before, if you've been around with communion, you know, the meal that they had was already very special. It was already very symbolic. The, 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 the elements meant something for the Jewish people. And it, and it pointed back to the time when God had freed the people of Israel from Egypt, from the bond of slavery, and uh, by the blood of a sacrifice that the judgment, the angel that would come over, passed over their house. They were saved because of the blood that was applied and they were set free. And it's that same imagery and, and Peter tells us, Jesus is our Passover lamb and by his blood applied, we've been set free. And so as they were having this meal that was already very symbolic, Jesus amplify. He takes it to the next level and he says, take and eat this bread. It's my body. And, and it's been broken for you. And, and that statement would be realized soon after as he was on the cross, hanging, dying, broken for them. In their place and in our place. And then he would take the cup, the Bible says, and again, it was already very symbolic. And he would declare something pretty radical. He'd say, this is my blood. The new covenant. No longer than by the sacrifices of animals and bulls and lambs, Jesus being the one perfect sacrifice as we study before in 1 John 1, 7, his blood that cleanses us from all sin. And so his body broken and his blood shed. This beautiful act of love for you and for me. And we've talked before how communion then speaks to the idea of 
common, like of community. We're, we're entering into just this a, a personal time with the Lord. And as Paul recounts that scene for the Corinthians, he provides some qualifier. And one of the qualifiers he says is, let's make sure when we come to the Lord's table that we're don't, we don't do so with, uh, my paraphrase, a flippant attitude or irreverent. We, we want to take a moment, allow the spirit of God just to search our hearts. Because if there's anything that doesn't belong, it's our opportunity to confess that. Get right with the Lord. And the Bible just says as often as we do it. For us as a church, we, we do it the first Sunday of every month. But as often as we do, we, we proclaim the Lord's death. We remember what he's done for us, the price that was paid, the fact that you're loved. And so we look back and we rejoice and we have a heart of gratitude. We get to look in. Lord, where am I at today? Do I make these claims and yet I'm not doing what you called me to do? There's the sin of commission. We've committed things we shouldn't do. And sometimes there's the sin of omission. God told you to do something and you didn't do it. You're disobedient. And then we also get to look forward. Because we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, I won't eat and drink of the bread and the cup until I, until I do it again with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we're going to worship the Lord in song and these guys are going to serve you the bread and the cup. And I'd like to invite you just for the sake of time, you partake between you and the Lord as you feel led. Practically, the cup is double cup, so just be careful. The bottom has the bread, the top has the juice. As the guys serve you, just be careful pulling it out. Just spend a moment before the Lord. Allow the Spirit to search our hearts. I also say, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? Today, right now, you can believe in your heart. Jesus loves you. He died for you, paid for your sins. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. The Bible says you'll you'll be saved. But if you're not at that place yet, then the invitation is that you wouldn't partake. This is something that identifies ourselves with the Lord. It's a tangible uh, experiential element of the, the gospel. All right. Let me guys serve and let me pray. Father, we thank you for your loving, your grace, your word, your heart for us. May we obey you out of love. We thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.